you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into this episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. Quick announcements. The Kickstarter's over. We raised almost $32,000. Oh my gosh. You guys are incredible. We're getting, we're working like dogs. Me and Sophie are uh, getting everything under wraps. It, I guess you're, it takes up to 14 days for Kickstarter to process things, and they recommend that you don't start sending things until then. So we're working on all the back end of stuff, ordering the t-shirts and the and the books and all that jazz. We're on it. We will be in touch very soon. We've we've sent some updates out, but we got more stuff coming at you. Thank you guys so much for making that a reality. Uh, you guys are the best community that's ever existed of all time. Thank you. And uh, this episode is gonna knock your freaking socks off. I am sure of it. This was one of the best conversations I've had on this show. Uh, it, 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 it invigorated my creativity, this conversation, and it had real takeaways that I've put into practice instantly. Uh, I've been wanting to interview Fran for a long time. She's a fan of the podcast. We're mutual fans of each other's stuff, and I think we're uh, kindred creative spirits out there trying to you know, connect with our audience and encourage them in their creativity and, and share vulnerability. And I just think this is uh, this is a great episode. I, I wanted to see it kind of as Fran taking the takeover of Creative Pep Talk by Fran. And so we did a collaborative image to, to celebrate it. Um, just feels like a really big episode, an important one. And uh, hopefully the first of many conversations we have with Fran on the podcast. If you want to check out Fran, uh, her work, she has... Uh, an amazing Instagram and YouTube. If you just search Fran Nerd as one word, F-R-A-N-N-E-R-D, the three top links are all of her stuff on Google. Um, Go watch her YouTube channel. You're going to love it if you love this interview. And uh, go follow her on Instagram for tons and tons of fresh content that is uh, (laughs) sure to put a smile on your heart. And uh, anyway, thanks, Fran, for doing this, and let's get into the episode. So, so what else? So, okay, why did you go to New York? Just to be in the happening spot? 
Oh man, I wish. No, um, I've always been really, really scared of New York. Um, I came here a couple of times in the past and I was like, I will never live in New York. I love New York as a tourist, but I think it's, it's a too intense and stressful city, so I'll never live here. Um, and then my husband, Ed, he applied to a PhD and he got in and that's why we're here. We're going to stay for at least seven years and which is a lot if you ask me because i have moved around a lot in the past couple of years and i haven't yeah. lived in a city for i mean at least in the past couple of years for more than two years so this will be the first time in a while in which i have to like i'm being forced to stay like to settle and that yeah. is yeah but um i'm very happy to be here it's just that i feel like it's so competitive and so like everybody is working their asses off and I'm like, oh my God. So suddenly all the levels are up. You're like, like when you play a video game and you're in the boss stage, you're like, you need to fight the boss, the final boss. Yeah. I feel like that it's New York to me at least. <laughs> <laughs> fighting the, evil, the last evil guy. Yes, I feel like when you get to that last level, you have to get on the edge of your seat and you're like frozen. Your hands are like, sweating like crazy. Yes. Yeah. Full focus. That's you all the time in New York. Basically. Yes, all the time, 24-7. Plus the heat. So yeah. I'm sweating like crazy, baby. I had to turn You're sweating off. from nerves and heat. And it's heat. just lots of sweat. Man. Right now. Yes. I like I need a very good deodorant without aluminium, which is very hard to get. So yeah. Right. Yeah. So there you go. Have you gone out and uh, met people? Not yet. I mean, I have a couple of friends living here, but um, I would love to creepily. I mean, I am a creep sometimes. And when I was living in London, <laughs> yeah. I, I used to, uh, I wrote a couple of emails to people that I was following on Instagram that happened to live in London. And I'm like, hi, I know you don't know me, but my name is friend. I would love to be your friend and stuff like that. I'm also an illustrator, by the way, he's my link and whatever. And yeah. they all say yes. So I met amazing people just because I wrote the them an email. It's the way to do it. Uh, yeah. So I think I will um, be a creep again and write an email to people I follow on Instagram and they do live here in New York. But yeah, I have no idea if they're going to say yes or not, uh, sure but fingers crossed. <laughs> I, I'm definitely uh, tempted to take your quote saying I'm a creep and like cutting it out and like putting it on repeat as the opening <laughs> of this. Have you ever done by the by the way, Andy? Like yeah. wrote an email to people. Hi, I know you don't know me, but can we have coffee or whatever? Yeah, I've done that tons of times. I, I um with happy well, results. What's that? With happy results. Yeah, I I haven't um I haven't done a ton of like like coffees. I guess I have a little bit when I'm, when I'm visiting a city, mm -hmm. but I, especially early on in my career, I emailed tons and tons of my heroes and, and people I thought were amazing. And, um, there was zero bad results. There were a lot of, you know, nothing, mm. but then there were tons of, tons of the people that I really respected and looked up to, you know, my relationship to them started with that kind of email and a lot of those people I'm like friends with now. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I, always I highly think, recommend. I always think of the worst case scenario and it's like no response. <laughs> oh no, I'm busy. So it's like, it doesn't matter. You know, I always envision a way worse response than that when like, I was starting out, like, you know what? You suck. Yeah. 
No, I'm, you know what? I'm not even, I don't want to meet you. And I'm going to go on online and just talk crap. Telling about everybody. You. <laughs> yeah, that would be even worse. But that never happens. It doesn't happen. No, Thank that's God. crazy. I always tell people, like, you know, think of the last new artist that you discovered whose work you were like, man, that's really cool. And try to remember their name mm. and let alone people that, just didn't really register on your radar. Yeah. So if they don't, if they're not into your stuff, like worst case scenarios, they just probably ignore you and don't ever think about you again. So, That's right. Yeah. Is this an encouragement to people to do that? Yeah. It's an encourage. Yeah. Yeah. It's an encouragement <laughs> to do that. I think, I think, uh, you know, why not? There's not, you don't have anything to lose. And I think most of your heroes or the people you respect, like in the industry, their information is published and it the all the only thing you're risking is possibly getting ignored. So I don't get I don't get why you wouldn't do it. Um, do it. That's do right. It. So for Hannah, I wanted to ask you. Uh, first of all, I'll, I'm going to give him an intro, but maybe you could tell everybody a little bit about who you are uh, and and what you do. Oh man, that's always the most hard answer to. It is oh, a hard. God. So my name is Fran, and um, if I have an accent, it's because I don't speak English. I mean, I do, but it's not my main language. <laughs> Can you imagine? No, I don't. <laughs> I come from a very long and gorgeous country uh, called Chile, and it's by the end of South America. And I was born and raised there. And I, uh, about six years ago, Ed and I decided to move abroad. And we have lived in tons of places since then. Um, we lived in Germany, in Cologne and in Berlin, and in the UK, in London and in Hastings. And recently we moved to New York. I studied graphic design, but I started working as an illustrator for I think my first job as an illustrator was in 2010 or 2011. That was like the year I said officially, I'm an illustrator. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of complicated because when I was studying graphic design, I realized I wanted to be an illustrator. Um, but the issue was that my parents couldn't afford another career. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to stick with graphic design because I need a backup plan in case illustration is not what I like. I knew I loved to draw and to illustrate, but I had no idea if it's just like a hobby or something that I wanted to do as a job. Yeah. Um, it's very different to do something um, like when you're just wanted to relax and do something for fun, but it's totally different when you're getting paid to do it or to receive feedback. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to see if this works. And um, it happened that I loved it as a job and as a hobby. <laughs> so I studied, I, I keep studying graphic design, but uh, when the classes were over, I went to my uh, university's library and I used to spend hours and hours reading the, do you remember the Illustration Now series by Passion? Yes. Oh man, I think I know all of those books by heart because yeah. I used to flick all of the pages like a maniac trying to remember all of the names and the illustrators that I loved. Back then, even like blogs weren't a, a big thing. So um, I remember just like reading all the blogs and there weren't as many books about how to be an illustrator or how to be a freelance. So I had to kind of figure it out as I went. And mm -hmm. then I started 
to work little by little as a as an illustrator. And it didn't happen in one day. I remember I I also worked as a graphic designer in magazines and agencies until I figured the way to balance my life as a freelancer. And mm. that's basically it in some way. Oh, I have two cats. And I love coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And, you know, I, do, do you ever like, uh, like when I was in college, I was just like you and that I would, I was obsessed with going to the library and going to the bookstore and like pouring over these illustration books. And I remember just being so enamored and excited about oh these books i was obsessed yes. i remember I the feeling sad that i don't really i don't I, I have different versions of that now but but what do you I mean feel sad? Sad. i feel kind of sorry i kind of feel sad that i don't really feel that way anymore i don't have that same experience anymore about illustration books um or going to the bookstore to the art section like all of my I don't know. I'm not in that phase anymore. And mm -hmm. sometimes I kind of look back with nostalgia and kind of miss that feeling of discovery. But Andy, maybe it was, I don't know. I'm, I'm just like, I might be butt speaking, but I guess it's because back then we only had illustration in this. I mean, not only, but mainly as books and not, I mean, yeah. internet wasn't, a. I mean, it was, but not as much as today. So all of the rush that I have, with illustrators right now or illustration is like, I find a new person on Instagram or I bump into this great person on Twitter and stuff like that. And it's the same rush that I remember feeling at the library. So I guess it's, it's, it, it changed with time. I don't know. Yeah, I do think that that's true. I also think um, like I, that's definitely been um, true to me, but I also feel like that uh back then as well even online ever i felt like there was an infinite amount of things to discover whereas i feel like and that was maybe like 2007 mm, like yeah. 2008 and now i feel much more like like the world is very small compared to what it felt like back then oh yeah um, you know, like I felt like you would go to the library and see five new books that you'd never seen and discover a hundred illustrators that you're like, this is incredibly <laughs> the craziest things ever. And then now it's like, it takes a long time for me to feel like I come across something that is totally different. But I mean, I don't, you know, don't worry about me. I have plenty of joy and excitement in my life in other areas, but I don't have that same going to the library. Like the rush. Thing. Yeah. But in, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. It's kind of sad. But anyway, so when, when did uh, any, this, this is the, this is, that's not the creative pep talk. To just yeah, be, to just be like, yeah, it's just sad. That's the Period. end of that. Well, it was a pleasure, Fran. Thanks for coming. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so when did, uh, like, I'm guessing there was a, something that happened in your career path that was kind of a tipping point that created a before and after, like before things were working and then after, like, like, was there something that really started you onto the path to where you are now? Like, does that question make sense? Oh man, I think it does. 
but it happened to me in different levels and in different times sure. of my life. I think the yeah. first time that it happened to me, it was when I was nine years old. Um, yes. And I watched uh, Sailor Moon for the first time. So in Latin America, anime was the shit, Andy. Yeah. Like, and very early on, I, I guess you guys in the US um, had that uh, anime wave much more later. But what year was that? Like, what oh year was that? Oh my God, like 96. 96, yeah. Yeah, okay. it was. I, see, I was watching Dragon Ball Z and probably like. And we're the same age, baby. Right. So this yeah. was like. It was probably three or four years later. Yeah. And I was also probably too old to be watching Dragon Ball Z, but. No, we weren't. So it was okay. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like you're giving me therapy today. <laughs> Um, but I remember the feeling of watching Sailor Moon for the first time because I, I used to watch, well, all the Hanna-Barbera and like Bugs Bunny cartoons after that. I mean, before that. And I remember Sailor Moon, it was the first cartoon that I've ever watched that had a female protagonist, a female lead yeah. on the show. And that blew my mind. I'm like, yes, because back then and before that, um, female characters were only like a support role on cartoons they always needed to be helped and rescued and I'm like this is amazing because they were all almost my age they were all super badass and fought evil and stuff like that but in the daytime they used to go to school just like I was and struggle with grades and studying so I'm, I felt super related to that and that was I think one of the first impulses I mean like the first um, things that trigger me to be an illustrator. Um, yes. I, I used to draw before that, but I guess that was like an explosion. And um, throughout my life, I had one of those explosions, so to speak. Uh, but I guess the strongest one was when uh, I was already debating myself between graphic design and illustrator because I got way more jo job offers as a graphic designer. Um, and I'm like, oh, maybe I should just like continue being a graphic designer because I didn't want this is the thing, Andy. I think you will relate to this somehow. But yeah. when you try, you're 100%. You put yourself in a very vulnerable position in which you can fail. But if you oh. half-ass, it's very nice because you're never risking failing all the way. So I, I was with one foot, I remember one it foot. It feels very safe. It, it feels very safe. I was one, yeah. with one foot in graphic design and the other in illustration. And I'm like, this is amazing because nothing can fail. And if I don't have illustration, it's okay because I have graphic design. And at some point I got tired of that because I knew graphic designing, I mean, graphic design wasn't fulfilling my desires, my passions. So I'm like, yeah. I just give it the middle finger to graphic design all due respect because i learned a lot in graphic design like i learned how to compose yeah. how to um just like um yeah compass about composition about color theory i i learned about font so i'm very grateful that i continue studying graphic design but um somehow it wasn't fulfilling all of my wishes and that's yes. um and it was it was one of those working with an agency and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I have to be my own boss. So that was, I think the strongest one. And since then I have been a freelancer. Yeah. I don't be grateful to design that 
Designers don't need anything else. They have enough. <laughs> they have everything. <laughs> they have everything. They have the jobs and the. I just feel like you know I came from a design background as well. Like my degree is in graphic design, and and lots of my closest friends are designers. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like I always feel like I'm Ernie to the Bert of design. Like illustrators are like the Ernies, and designers are like the Bert. Do you know what Bert and Ernie? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> and I just, I just recently have started to feel this urge to like, you know, I don't know, do some tough love on designers because they're so critical and, you know, not all of them, but they're just, you know, always. But wait, Andy, did you study graphic design or did you study I, yeah, illustration? I no, I, stu- I went, my first year was in illustration and then I switched to graphic design. Uh, so Are you, you happy know, you did? I went, yeah, I mean, but only because of my school, like the school that I was in, like the illustration program was kind of more rigid. And then the design program, it seemed like you could answer the the brief in any way that you wanted mm-hmm. to. And so I just, I moved over there just for freedom because I, I'm really self-motivated. I don't need, like, I don't need to be in a rigid environment to, to make stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just moved over to graphic design and it was a it was a a great thing for me, and you know I actually love design and love designers really, and they taught me a ton, and I'm super grateful too. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I like to get. I feel like illustrators are. I feel like are like the little brother of the of the creative world to design, and I'm just starting to get just starting to get my confidence up to start giving them some. <laughs> some hell so i don't know i don't know what that i don't know where it came from but, but nice all of a sudden thing. i've just started to feel like hey designers yeah illustrators are cool but baby like, we have the, the the good of both worlds we have the best of both worlds yeah i do think that's true we can yeah. design and illustrate at the same time trying to look at the bright side and <laughs> i mean thank god we i mean i i'm very happy i stick with graphic design because um, back then, again, in Chile, there weren't many um, careers or like workshops for illustrators. So sure. all of the knowledge came from graphic design, like colors yes. and how to compose a page or um, stuff like that. So I'm very happy I did it. And now I know more, for example, if I have to design, I mean, illustrate a book, I know exactly yeah. which font to use or where to put it. And it's nice to know that or like how to work with InDesign and software that maybe as an illustrator, I wouldn't know how to use. I'm in the same camp completely. And I, and actually I always encourage illustrators to, to take some design classes and because I think Milton Glaser said something about it that I thought was really fascinating. He said that, um, you know, every illustrator should become a designer as well because you, you need to be able to control and design the context in which your illustration is found so that you can elevate it because like illustration placed with bad text or bad design. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm nodding just, my it, head so much. Yeah. So hard it's, right now. It just, <laughs> it just totally ruins yeah. it. And I think it, it's such a, I mean, and, and also what's amazing about design is that, uh, that I feel like they can kind of, like they can, they know how to make, they know how to design anything. They can make anything look good. I feel like designers, they can, that's why their presentations are good because they design them. Yeah. You know, like I feel like uh, if you can design something, you can 
package everything. You can, I don't know, you can, it's kind of like punk music in that you can learn like two chords and do uh, on a guitar and make tons of songs. Yeah. And that's what's great about punk. And I feel like design, if you get the basic design chops, the all of a sudden you can make books, and you can, you can do web pages and you can, yeah, you can just, yeah. So I totally agree. See, so, everything's fine. <laughs> like we love for you. some reason we love you we're one of them one of you we so. do i do i don't know why i i have no idea why i'm in this way of like trying to give designers a hard time i don't know what it is i, I have no i'm sure it's my own insecurities but um but, uh so you moved to freelance but did when you did that uh did it get really good right away or was there oh, no. you know certain things that you did that really helped things take off like what you know was it etsy or what what moves oh, did man. you make that really started to get you to this place because i'm sure things feel really different now than they felt when you started oh yeah oh yeah baby so it yeah. was hard <laughs> as hell it was really hard yes. because i have never worked like for myself, I have never been my own boss. So I'm like, okay, this is how it works. And in the beginning, I had no idea how to do time, like time management, as I'm sure many of you are in the same position. Like I have no idea, okay, I'm, am I a morning person or am I a like really late evening type of person in the sense of like where on, and how and do I work the best and stuff like that. So yes. I always, this is my big issue, Andy, at least in the beginning, it was that I didn't take myself seriously. So uh, I remember I got really grumpy when people like friends came over to my flat when I, when I was working hours. And I used to yeah. blame, blame them a lot. I mean, secretly, I, I never told them this to their faces. Um, hi, friends. <laughs> I, had, I, had, I had similar experiences. I know exactly. Man, but I was like, I was, God, so grumpy. Um, I remember feeling like, why are they coming at like 1 p.m. or 11 in the morning if they know I'm working? And it was because I allowed them to do that. I never yeah. said like, okay, can you come at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or something like that? Or can we meet really early and then I can go work and stuff like that? Even though the, the joy of being a freelancer is to be flexible, I remember in the beginning I needed some discipline. And instead of uh, blaming others, I realized it was my own fault because I didn't take myself seriously. I was uh, giving everything, like sending everything in the last minute, especially with personal projects. I used to suck at finishing things. Um, yeah. And I think it took a couple of years to, okay, I need to take this seriously because I am only harming myself. Then I realized that um, in general, commissions, they do arrive. I mean, they arrive because people tend to talk about you and recommend you. So I'm like, okay, I need to make a very good impression with clients because they are the ones who are going to recommend me in the future. And back then, I remember in 2008, I started to posting on my blog every single day um, just for fun because yeah. I needed to, I wanted to start practicing using my Wacom Cintiq for the first time. So I'm like, okay, I need to practice. I need an excuse. So I started posting every day. And I had no idea, but all of my clients started to arrive because of the blog. I'm like, this is right. weird because um, 
again back then blogs weren't a big thing a big thing so yeah uh, and then i started uh slowly but surely with social media when everybody started having a twitter account i'm like okay i'm going to try this even though in the beginning i thought it was very again creepy because i'm like why do people want to know what i'm doing all the time and now it's such a normal thing to do um yeah. but i guess oh man yeah especially taking yourself seriously i think it was the hardest thing and also being um it was it, it's a, it's always a hard balance to have with your clients to be um demanding of your rights for example like pay me 50 percent up front or like this is when you're supposed to pay but also being flexible of what they want and what they need i in the beginning i also took all of the feedback uh personally like oh that person doesn't like the colors um yeah. i used to have a very pastel color palette and i got really offended when clients um offended is such a strong word but i got really angry with clients <laughs> they were like hey friend can you uh, make the colors maybe a little bit more contrasted or brighter and i'm like oh my god this client has no idea what he's asking blah, 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 blah. but it was because of that experience and because i was more flexible that i realized oh my god darks dark blues are gorgeous and i started to incorporate more brighter colors to my palette so it's very hard in the beginning to know when to put your foot down, like this is my style, this is what I do, but also trying to make the client happy. And yeah. in school, at least in university, they never teach you some of these things, like how to deal with clients, how to send invoice or how to manage your money and your time. And I wish, I don't know if this is something that happens today, but I wish someone would have told me these things when I was studying. Did you have yeah. the same situation when you started? Pretty much. And I think, uh, you know, when it comes to kind of, I'm probably a naturally passive person. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably my preference. And actually, I think when it comes to working with clients, I feel like it's easy to be passive or aggressive. Mm. Like it's hard, it's easy to be like the type of person that's like, yeah, I'll just do whatever the client wants, no matter what. And I'll, you know, I'll let them walk all over me. <laughs> Like it's easy, you can, or you can, and you can think like, oh, my strategy for clients is just, to, you know, please the client. You got to make a good impression. Be, you know, be the best employee you can be. Mm. Or you, f I, I could find myself early on getting burnt in that situation and going the opposite way yeah. and being like, I'm standing up for my rights. If they want me to change a color, they can stuff it. They can, <laughs> you know, forget it. They can leave. I'm done. And I think it's way harder. The wisdom of experience is like knowing what, how to pick your battles and, uh, you know, and all that, but it was a big process for me. Mm. Uh, yeah. Like there, there were definitely, especially early on, I feel like I was in a lot of circumstances that required me to, cause I think when you're starting out and you're young, a lot of people are kind of don't take you seriously, even if they're hiring oh, man, you, even yeah. if they like what you're doing. Do they ask you um, to illustrate like someone else? Yeah. I mean, oh, that, yeah, that totally happened. I feel like I mean, it didn't happen in terrible ways for me. Um, and if it ever did, I would just be like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and then if it was a deal breaker, then they would just, you know, walk away or whatever. But um, I do feel like early on there, they think they can get away with a lot more mm. with the young, with the young artists. I know um, because they, they tend to think uh, you're cheaper when you're younger. Yeah. Uh, you're dumber, which you are, oh, but that's not fair. 
But I, I'm, I'm also so grateful of those terrible experiences because I learned so much about myself and um, like how to work with clients. I remember in the beginning, my first like big experience with an agency, I remember I didn't charge uh, per adjustment or like corrections. So um, I have this thing that if it takes more than three adjustments, you have to pay for the for fourth and onwards. Um, yeah. Of course, my job as an illustrator is not to reach the that point because uh, I'm trying to understand what you want immediately. Uh, but in the beginning, I didn't I didn't say that. And I, oh God, Andy, I I remember in one illustration, and I'm not exaggerating. They asked me to change like eighty things. 80, 8-0, like, oh my God. And I remember it wasn't like oh in batches. God. They used to ask me in one email, like, oh, change the hand. And I changed the hand, for example. And then another email, oh, change the smile. And I changed this. And I'm like, God, this is awful. I have no oh idea how people does this. And then I'm like, yeah. okay, change whatever you want on a sketch level. And that, because then it will be harder oh, yeah. to adjust and blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, I'm equally grateful of Doc's experience because I have learned so much about that. 100%. <laughs> Probably, yeah, the biggest lessons you learn are from pain and not joy, I would say. God. That's usually true. Uh, it sounds like, so you're saying that uh, at the beginning of the freelance life, uh, the two things that really helped you get your uh, time under control and... Um, and start thriving in that environment was boundaries with clients and boundaries with friends. And then also some kind of discipline. Um, and for you, it was like posting yeah. every day. So those two things, I, cause I, I get that question quite a bit about time management. And I always think like, it sounds like something you would ask a productivity czar <laughs> yeah. in the business world. And I'm always like, I don't know. I don't think I'm especially good at time management, but I think that you made really valid points there. Like you can create some boundaries with your time, how you spend your time for clients. And be respectful. Uh, yes. Yeah. But like most importantly with yourself, like, I guess if, uh, yeah, I guess it depends of, um, on every person because Ed, my husband, he's more of like a creative person during the night. But I am more like a morning person, so it totally yeah, depends. Yeah, that's the same when, for me and my wife. And as well. yeah, when and where do you work the best? Yeah, and that, I think you know that back to that point you were saying about respecting yourself. Um, I I think that that is incredibly important. I think it's that yeah, it's the core of boundaries is like um, believing you deserve to be treated a certain way, yeah. like uh, which starts with like self respect, and I think. Um, it, it's hard. It took me uh, like years and years and years to realize that if I was able to make effective attention grabbing, uh, illustration that that was actually incredibly valuable to the client and I should be respecting what I do mm -hmm. and I should demand that they do the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's totally true. So, okay. So if on this trajectory, if we were looking at your career on a, on a, I don't know, a, a like a line graph of something, <laughs> what, is there a point after you went freelance, was there anything that you did like, um, where there was like a dramatic increase of success or like, 
Like, was YouTube a big part of that? Oh, man, I don't know. Um, I think it happened when we moved to Berlin because I was suddenly yeah. with more time on my hands. Like, the time I used to spend with my friends, I was now by myself alone. Interesting. And I'm like, okay, what are the things that we love to learn? And I'm like, watercolors. So I started to use my free hand, my, <laughs> my spare time on yeah. learning the things uh, that I needed to improve, like flaws or, uh, for example, I am very bad at drawing, um, I don't know, characters, different ages or like uh, body types. So I wrote a list of all the things I want to improve. And I also started to post illustrations on Instagram instead of pictures. So this was in yeah. 2013 and no one was posting illustrations like what would you do on a blog but on instagram because right. back then everybody yes. was using instagram as a picture sharing device oh, wow. like with filters and whatever and i'm like no i'm going to post my stuff on instagram like with, like what you do with a blog and that how thing, did you th how did you think to do that what do you mean just meaning like be that wasn't really like i'm you know back in that time that wasn't really how people were using instagram no. how did you how did you come up with the idea to start using it more as a blog? I have no idea because I'm like, okay. because I thought, okay, I'm an illustrator and I'm going out to eat, for example, a nice meal. Shouldn't I be drawing the meal instead of taking a picture? That was my first thought. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, why not? Why don't you, I, I don't know, draw this instead of taking picture. And then all of yes. my thoughts are like, um, things that I used to think back then about my life. And because when you move and you suddenly have all of this time to spare, you start thinking about your life and um, just thinking about the things that you do and the friends you left behind and what you're doing and everything. And all of these like reflections, I guess, or all the things yes. that I was thinking, I decided to put it out there as an illustration and I used to take a picture and then also with watercolors because I needed to practice with watercolors and I also made the transition to start speaking in English on all my social media because yeah. I, I used to go to for example like I don't know dates with friends uh, like new friends in Berlin and I'm like okay so yeah this is what I do these are all my illustrations and this is my blog and everybody's like oh they look really nice but I have no idea what it says <laughs> so I'm like okay I need to start posting in English because there's no way I can start making friends and new connections or like people to get to know what I do if I post everything on Spanish so I guess yeah. that thing the Instagram thing with the English created a lot of attraction. And that's when I opened my Etsy shop as well, because in Chile, we had a very bad uh, postal system, like the post office system works. I mean, it sucks, sorry, it sucks in English. I mean, in, in Chile. So we des um, I decided to open my shop in Germany because they do have a very nice postal system. And yeah. that was basically it, baby. It was crazy. I just want to note that my dog is sleeping in my office and snoring. So if you hear snoring, that's my dog and it's not. If me. you hear my cats um, okay. or me melting right now, it's. <laughs> the sound. Oh, that sound, sound of melting. melting was you melting. Right. Okay. I was, I was going to ask about that, but uh, so it sounds like to me that uh, Germany was really like 
your spiritual desert, oh, yes. so to speak. Oh, yeah, Is that baby. Right? exactly. That's exactly yes. what it was. How, so what? can you remind me, why, why did you guys move to Germany? Uh, because we, I mean, since Ed and I met, we were like, I would love to live abroad. And I was like, oh, me too. And he's like, oh, uh, Germany sounds nice. And I'm like, okay, let's go. And we just moved. He also applied to right. a master's degree in Cologne. And yeah. then uh, we realized we couldn't afford the whole program. So he stopped studying in Cologne, but then we moved to Germ- I mean, to Berlin because it's cheaper. And mm-hmm. I started properly working as a freelancer there. Sure. So what, is, what does Ed do? What's Ed, his... Ed is that, oh God, how can I describe Ed? So he's extremely talented in many things. He's a singer yeah. in his own band. He's a writer, so a playwright, and he also writes novels. And oh, he's also, he takes, uh, he's a photographer and a filmmaker. So he does, Whoa. he's like a Renaissance man. He does a lot of- He does everything yes. besides illustration, yeah. basically. Yeah, everything. But we complement each other a lot because we are, uh, we're working right now on a new graphic novel. He's writing it. So- That's amazing. It's nice. So yeah, so what, you know, I, I'm interested in this idea of like the spiritual desert because I definitely had those moments in my career, but you kind of just talking about, like to me, it's kind of like, um, I have a really hard time getting really close with people that have never left their comfort zone or never gone through those kind of belly of the mm. whale winter periods of their life where they stepped out into something that was unknown. I don't know, more lonely, mm. unknown. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like, I feel like that process of stripping away your comforts gives you such clarity on who you really are, what you really want. And it sounds like that was the time where all that happened. Oh yeah, baby. Like every time you move, especially to a new country, you're born again. You're no one. You're like a baby. So you need to get everything, like a new bank account, a new phone number, uh, a new social security number, and a new, like everything. So, and you're alone without your friends and family members, without your group so it's really hard to thrive in the beginning you're second guessing yourself about everything it's a new culture a new language and it put me in a very difficult position but you grow so much and so fast but it's only because you're in a very uncomfortable position constantly yes that's totally true and they say like there's a quote about how we only change when it's more uncomfortable not to. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I think that that when you get into that, when you get thrown out of your comfort zone, nothing is comfortable. And you're so raw in that place that you're open to growth and change and and new ways of thinking about yourself and all that. But um, I I definitely think, I I don't know if that's really advice or, or not to people that are listening, but I do encourage like, yeah, go yeah. be, yeah, go, you know, I do think people should say yes to unknown and to, un, and to discomfort oh, yeah. and let, yeah, I think that's definitely. You and your quotes, uh, Andy. Andy's <laughs> quotes. I have so it's many good breakouts there. here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I've got like five clips that I've got to pull out go. from this. 
<laughs> There's a lot of uh, Fran is creepy. There's some really good jingles. Oh, I'm going to owe you uh, some kind of fee at the end of this for all those. Uh, so, <laughs> so it sounds like also like uh, at the at this time when you're transitioning to Struggling. doing this Instagram yeah. stuff, uh, like as far as I can tell there's something that happens in your trajectory where you quit thinking of being the type of illustrator that is like a B2B business and more like a B2C where you're like, you go from thinking business to business, like you working with clients mm-hmm. to you working with customers or, or the audience directly. Um, how, how did you know that that was going to work better for you? Like how, how when you were pushing, putting this stuff out there, how, what were the signs and signals that this is, the right path i mean it never felt right i felt scared right. all the time that's the thing and that's i think the myth why did you do it then? oh man because i don't know i just i just love the idea of creating my own products and being mm. able to being like an art director like an editor of my own things and yeah. i remember back then i opened my shop and the first week I had like one um, order and then I had two and three. And I mean, a good week was seven orders a week. And I'm like, oh my God, this is success. This is amazing. But I felt like Etsy orders or the online shop orders were more stable than working with clients. So I remember, okay, if I work hard enough, and if I complement my online shop with my social media, maybe I can draw more people to my shop on a more regular basis. So I started yeah. my YouTube channel because I've always been a very, like I love, I, I, I used to watch so much YouTube in the past. I started like being a hardcore user of YouTube, I remember in yeah. 2012. And I'm like, this is amazing. All of these ladies putting their makeup on. I suck at putting makeup on, by the way. Um, but I used to watch these like very young adult females putting makeup and I'm, oh, I wish I was that talented, by the way. And there was something very comforting about watching someone talking and like showing you uh, their place and what, where they live and what they do. And I'm like, I wish there was someone on YouTube talking just as passionately as makeup, but with pens and art supplies. And I'm like, no one is doing that. And I decided to do it. Of course, I felt so freaking scared, Andy, because I'm like, English is not English is not my language. Um, yeah. So I, I felt very, very scared to talk, not only in front of a camera, but in another language. And to edit all of that content and realize, oh my God, I said this word wrong. I said this wrong. I said this wrong, but whatever. And I just kept going. And I I started, for example, producing the, the, the content that I would have loved to see on Instagram and on YouTube, like uh, going to museums and draw paintings and uh, having coffee dates with other illustrators and doing reviews about my favorite watercolors or my favorite sketchbooks. So all the people... In some way, I did like cross promotion. So all the people that used to, <clears throat> that are still watching my videos and my content on Instagram, I I tend to um, draw them in some way, like uh, to my online shop. And at some point, I realized that was a very nice balance. 
and it was stable enough that allowed me to support myself and Ed with the shop. But then when we moved to yeah. London, everything became way more expensive. And then it was the time when I decided to open my Patreon account. And wow. that made everything, that made possible the jump, made me, um, in some way made me, it, it, it made possible the idea of not working with clients anymore and just focus on the content and on the shop. But it was a very slow yes. tra transition. It took me four years to reach that point. And in between, I used to say, I mean, I, I said yes to clients that I really, really, really wanted to work with. So of course I had exceptions, so to speak, but yes, I, it was a very slow transition. Like one thing I just want to say, isn't it funny? Like that English not being your first language, would you say that, okay, you were afraid of that being a problem, but do you think that it's kind of part of your superpower as a YouTuber now? Um, yes. Yeah. Um, I used to be isn't, really embarrassed of my accent. I'm like, I, I really want to have a very British accent. I will work really hard. And then I'm like, no. <laughs> And then people are like, I remember listening to, like, reading comments saying, like, I love your accent. It's so cool. And I'm like, okay, this is something nice. Or the idea that I can translate all of my videos to Spanish. Um, here in New York, it's so handy to know Spanish as well. So I'm yeah. like, okay, this is True. awesome. Yeah. I love to know <laughs> Spanish as well. <laughs> That's awesome. But I think, you know, for me, you know, it's a, it's really encouraging to me to kind of see your process through that because I can imagine, can imagine being in your shoes, starting the YouTube and thinking, oh, you know, my English isn't going to be totally right and that's going to be a problem. And then later find out that's probably one of the things that differentiates you and makes you stand out and different on YouTube and something that people like about watching your videos. Mm. Um, because, you know, for me personally, uh, my ADHD is something that, uh, I feel like you saw us a flaw for so long. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. And I think especially in talks and it is a flaw and in a lot of ways, you know, it makes me, my brain works in such a weird way that I'll often start my sentences backwards. Like <laughs> I'll start with the, like the, yeah, like the conclusion and then reverse engineer back yeah. to, the, to the point of what I'm saying. I think I probably just did that with that sentence. I don't know, but, um, but yeah, I, you know, I think it's encouraging to, to everyone because I think that that's true. Um, I think, you, you know, like Meg Lewis has been on this part. Do you know Meg? Uh, I think, yeah. I think so. Okay. She's really awesome. I thought you, you should follow her if you don't. I feel like you'd appreciate all of her stuff. She's a funny, a funny person. Um, but she said on my podcast about how, you know, one of the secrets to finding out your best stuff is like thinking about what you're insecure about because whatever's different about you is the thing that people are going to give you feedback mm -hmm. on. And they might even give you good feedback, but you're probably going to be you probably remember the bad feedback. So that's the quickest route to figuring out what, what's different about you is, you know, what are you insecure yeah. about? Um, 
And then, so anyway, I'm just, no, what I, a it's nice, just interesting. What a nice quote, Andy. That's exactly, that it's, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Because I think, you know, watching your videos, I think uh, anytime there's some kind of, a, kind of a, a unexpected use of a term that you would use that I don't think someone who speaks English as their uh, first language would use, it's always just uh, delightful. You're just like, oh, Andy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it just is. I, <laughs> I do think that, though. I think, like, and I, you know, I feel, uh, yeah, it's just encouraging to me. So I wish I just wish I was more eloquent, like you are. Yeah, I wish I was too. I you wish are. I wasn't such a you weird speaker. No, I'm just a strange guy. I feel I feel like I have some good ideas, but I feel like I just have to be so such a blabberhead about everything <laughs> to try to explain well, that's it. Hard, I don't know why. I think. Yeah, I hope so. It's something. I don't know. Um <laughs> Okay. And the other thing that you said that I thought was really interesting was uh, that at the start, you were talking about how you started to go straight to customers because that just seemed more interesting to you. And it was, it seems like it was just kind of an intuitive decision. And I, is that true? Like you just kind of, cause I think I was the opposite at the beginning, at least where it was just like, it seemed more interesting to work to cl with clients to me. Mm, it is. So is it just intuitive? It was just intuitive, but only because I I saw there was a gap in the market, so to speak. Um, no. And I'm like, okay, there, there's a lot of products that I would love to see out there, but there's no place for them. I mean, there's nothing there that I would love to that I I would love to see. So I'm like, yeah. okay, and there's people that would love to see those products made by me. So, okay, I'm going to see if this works. And I started. What kind of stuff was that early like very, on? To me, it, it was very simple things like cat stickers or like chicks with cats or um, yeah. like greeting cards or, for example, travel journals, um, just like handmade things by the same author. I thought there was a gap back then that it wasn't being fulfilled. So I'm like, okay, I would love to do this. And people were very, very supportive. I used to hand cut and hand print everything. So yeah. I think that that was a very nice touch to that it yeah. was missing back then. So yeah, 100% intuitive. And one of the things we talked about before we, we got on here was about the kind of imposter syndrome that comes from choosing a path and kind of always comparing yourself to the other path. Oh, you, yeah, maybe. I feel like the, fir <laughs> yeah. the first half of our, uh, I feel like I'm not as much like this anymore in terms of, uh, no, I still have plenty of imposter syndrome. I'm not saying that. It comes not as goes. much. I, well, it does come and go. But I think like uh, I used to be way more client focused and now I'm a lot more customer focused. I've switched to be, up, to be about 50-50. Uh, but I remember at the beginning feeling like uh, the real artists are the people that author their own content and you kind of were communicating the opposite. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Why can you explain God, that? Because, um, so when I decided to not work with so many clients, like, okay, I'm going to stop this for a second and focus on my own things. I remember 
and I'm, I'm sure you felt the same way, but when I was in university, I thought illustration as one path, like one career. You were supposed right. to work your ass off and work with really big, big and prestigious brands. And yeah. I'm like, okay, this is like the client list I need to work with at some point. And I realized that when I started with YouTube and with Instagram and social media, I'm like, I am definitely not in that path. And I, I, I still compare myself a lot to other illustrators, even like to you, Andy, because I'm like, I, I don't have oh, this dear. awesome portfolio. And it's, it's only because... One day, Fran, <laughs> one day you can be as great as me. <laughs> I, I feel exactly the opposite. So there Man, you go. Man, I'm like, I, I don't have a really strong portfolio because I focus myself so much on the content that I produce on Instagram that, of course, all of my illustrations are more, quote, simple. Like, I don't, all of my, all the things that I upload on Instagram, for example, um, on Instagram, they're very simple. They don't have as many colors and layers. They're not complex. And most of the things that you see on a, illustrator's portfolio is like, oh my God, I did this, this illustration for this amazing magazine. And I'm like, God, I don't have that because I focus myself so long on this path that I feel like I'm not legit enough. I'm, I feel like I'm not considered, and this is all in my mind, by the way, I feel like I'm not considered right. as an illustrator. I'm more considered like a content creator or um, I don't know. And I know it's silly when I say it out loud because I feel really lucky that I'm not only my own boss, but I make money out of my own products, out of my own graphic novels and scenes and stickers and stationery. And I do videos and I connect with people in another way. But since this is too new to me and to the quote market, I hate that word, but to today's world, I feel it's not yeah. legit enough these days. And I know it's on my mind, but it's what I feel. And that's, yeah. yeah. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. I think, I totally understand that. Like I think uh, early, like probably three years ago, I was at a crossroads between focusing my side project energy on kids books or podcasts. And I feel like I was really tempted to, even though kids books weren't at the time really happening mm -hmm. for me, I was really tempted to focus all of my energy on that because mainly because the kids' books have the Caldecott and, you know, massive. And I'm, not, I'm telling you that I'm, I'm unpacking subconsciously. Oh, probably do it, what baby. Ego I love was it. Doing. Do it. You know what I mean? It's not like I thought that at the time, but, but I think what was going on was like, because podcasts are new, like you're talking yeah. about, they feel cheap and stupid yeah. and kind oh, of yeah. like random or whatever. It's not glamorous. And, uh, honestly, like publishing a book. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like no publisher, no, no, it's not, there's no credentials or anything. Exactly. And I think there was a massive inflection point in my podcast when I decided that whether anybody thought it was or not, the podcast was going to be my art. Like that was going to be art. I'm going to make and, it. And people art. love to label um, you. Oh, you're the yes, podcaster. Totally. Oh no, no, no. I'm the illustrator. Yes. You're like podcaster. Yeah. I don't what, what does that mean? It sounds gross. Uh, or, you know, you don't want to be the guy going into social events being like, they're like, Oh, what do you do? I make a podcast. And they're like, well, I'm sure you do. Yeah. It was a nice. big leap for me to be like, 
I'm going to make my podcast art. And I, you know, I, I think about it as my most creative outlet, really, even though I, you know, do illustration and everything, but I totally relate to that. And, uh, but I do think that, so, all right, I want to transition here. That was, a um, that was a that was a rough segue oh, love, into a different I love that segue, thing. That I baby. <laughs> Everything that is vulnerable and just like very intimate. Oh God! Yeah, I can't help it. You know what? If I go into a circumstance and I'm trying to pr- pretend that I'm normal, it makes it so much more awkward yeah. and strange than if I just we all like, know oh, you're a weirdo, Andy. Out. I know. I can't we hide it. I, w- I try. <laughs> I, no, I don't yes, think so. Yeah. My dad. Yeah. <laughs> We all are. My older brother's really Maybe normal. secretly behind doors, but we all are, baby. It's just that you and me are more openly weird and creepy. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> this is this episode is titled Fran the Super Creep. Uh, <laughs> Cross the street if you see another. Just like <laughs> <laughs> Look out, New York. The creep has arrived. Uh, <laughs> so um this is a this is something I wanted to ask you. And I, uh, it might be a hard thing to answer, but what do you think you're best at? Like, what what do you think you f- feels kind of like really what you do? Not, and I don't mean I I, want, I don't mean just like oh, good at drawing or good at videos or whatever, but baking cookies deeper than yeah, that. <laughs> what is it that you're doing? And are you because I because I feel like you seem very in command of the thing that you're doing does it does that question i love this is question. that a question i love this question yes good um awesome. i love it Go with it's it. hard to answer um i think yes. i'm good at connecting with people especially in, in the side of vulnerability i become obsessed andy with vulnerability a couple of years ago especially after reading Brené brown's uh daring greatly and I feel like as an artist, at least this is my perspective, I could be wrong, uh, but uh, you have to be really in touch with your more vulnerable side. And I know it's a word that it has a very bad and negative connotation, like you're exposed and you can be hurt. And But that's exactly what an artist is like. Like you have to be, in order to create really meaningful and just like hardcore content or art or paintings or whatever you have to be vulnerable with your most intimate side and the the thing that draws me the most to the the things that i see on the internet right now is when people open themselves up to their most flawless side or when they share a mistake they did or when they're sad or when it's just that it doesn't have to be something negative or sad or depressive necessarily but when people are just like raw and sincere it's just that it's like seeing a unicorn because it's so easy to lie on the internet or pretend you're someone else or pretend you're normal like you just said Uh, but it's just that I appreciate when people open themselves so much because you relate to that you create connections with people of trust because you're like oh my god thank god I'm not the only one that's just like when you sight and you're like, oh God, yes, exactly. And since I felt like this with other people in the past, I'm like, this is exactly what I want to do. And this is why I love creating, just like creating those connections with people because I feel it's so easy now to help people with the internet, with 
uh, podcasts and videos and just like give people tools or share what you know so they don't make the, the same mistakes or they feel less lonely or you're making them company, keeping them company while they're on the same path or maybe in another career or another thing. I think that's what I want to be good at, just like creating those connections. So what I totally agree. Uh, like the next question on my list, which I don't want to ask yet, was how do you connect with an audience so well? Um, but but uh, so so where do you think that comes from? Like, do, is this something that you see in yourself from a young age, like connecting, like a desire to connect, uh, an ability? ability to be vulnerable did, did you do you feel like that's been a I know that you said it was kind of heightened or you were kind of made aware of it through Brené Brown's mm -hmm. book but was it what do you think led to this being such a major deal to you now I mean I don't know because when I was younger and I mean like a kid nine years old I, yeah. I remember I used to love making people laugh and I'm like making people laugh is the best tool ever in this world. I love when people are having a good time around me. But then um, I was really bullied at school. So I became really, really, really shy. And illustration when I started in, like studying graphic design in uni was a tool for me to uh, talk about these things, like um, things that mattered to me or things that I was going through. So I guess it become something with time, but I think more strongly recently with the book. I think I read the book, God, like um, three or two years ago. Yeah. yeah. And also when, when, also when I started posting more illustrations on Instagram, when I moved to Berlin, I realized that content that, and this is something you also said on your uh, podcast, but when you... It's not the content that people like the most, but when people are just like going insane with something that you said. And I realized that all of the times that I shared something really personal on my Instagram, uh, people were like, oh my God, I'm so happy you talked about this. Or, oh my God, I'm going through the same thing. And just like reading those comments. Like the depth oh, of the yes. com comments. I'm like, was, this is yeah, something right. that I would love to just like do more research. And it's not that you're supposed to talk about really intimate stuff. And um, I'm not saying this like everybody needs to talk about their secrets. It will be wonderful. But, <laughs> but just like one day at a time, just one day go deeper and deeper. And that's, I think, what uh, at least what what's my jam. I don't know. Mm, yeah, I completely agree. And do you, another follow-up to that is, do you, it seems like you have turned your brain into a vulnerability detector, uh, so to speak, uh, kind of like a metal yeah. detector, but for like, some, like, ooh, this is something that needs to be shared or like, how, how does that process work for you? Like, what, how do you pick up on those things? What, what's the process of like, oh, collecting this is, that kind of I love, stuff? I love this episode already, Andy, because we're yeah. doing like a, a circle of things. Um, when I feel, oh, you know, I like Andy. When I feel uncomfortable that. with something, or if I think I should post it or not, it's a good sign. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. I'm like, oh man, this is unknown territory. I feel so uncomfortable. Totally unknown territory. <laughs> when Woo! I feel super yes. uncomfortable or saying something out loud. Uh, and I'm not trespassing mm. anybody, like um, a boundary or something like that, or I'm not being offensive to anyone, to someone. I'm yeah. like, okay, this might be good to share. Um, I'm always scared of posting stuff. I'm always scared of something, Andy, but I realize that you need to work mm. through, I mean, to do it anyways, without like, even if you feel scared or not. I thought scary feelings will go away eventually. And that's, I think, a myth of adulthood that you're always scared especially like when you have kids i don't have any kids but i bet andy you feel scared all the time that something might happen to your kid uh, you get so Man. Much. i tell i tell people the, the birth of my first child was the birth fear of fear forever yes. <laughs> but i guess that's a, a really yeah. good sign when you feel scared or like uncomfortable and i always try to um write ideas down as i go so for example why do I feel about feminism and how do I take feminism? Um, how do I live feminism or how do I feel about sexuality or like body hair or how do I be, feel about certain subjects? Uh, sometimes I remember things that happened in the past and I would love to talk about that or um, even like funny things. It doesn't have to be really like intimate all the time, but um, when it's honest and raw and sincere, people appreciate that thing so freaking much, Andy. And they know when you're being honest, like people are not dumb. Yeah. Again, it's like seeing a unicorn when you, you know, when someone is being honest. Yeah. So even with the funny stuff, cause it sounds like for the ultra vulnerable stuff, it sounds like uh, you've trained yourself to, to note when you're feeling fearful uh and that being like a sign that oh this is something mm -hmm. to share what is there a commonality between the funny things that you notice and turn into work <laughs> and the vulnerable stuff because i and i only ask this because you know i have these things and i'm always curious whenever i get to talk to a creative person that i think is Pausing right there, I wanted to end that sentence with something really brutally mean, just for humor. Because <laughs> I'd set it up to really, you know, give you a giant compliment. But then I thought I could take a left turn right here and go somewhere crazy. But, <laughs> but what I was, but what I was gonna say uh, that you know, someone who's re I'm so fascinated by really good content creators. And I mean that in the best sense mm -hmm. of the word, not just like internet content, but be, people that are good at like smelling it out in their life of like, Ooh, this is, this is interesting. Ooh, that's good. Like, what? Yeah. And I'm, and I think everybody has a different way of doing that. And I, when it comes to, have you become good at sniffing, taking notes? <laughs> yeah. Have you been good? If you that could be really, yeah, I could, yeah, that, that could be misleading, but yeah, it's a lot all the time now. Uh, <laughs> That's another pull out yes. quote. Sniff like there's no tomorrow. Um, yeah, um, that that's how I want to start the podcast. Honestly, Alex, when you're listening no. to this, editing it, sniff like there's no tomorrow. That's how I want it to. Start. I get my ideas. No, um, yes, of course, I have a radar. I also like journaling a lot, like writing myself, yeah. because Ooh. I feel like journaling is 
a way of keeping track of what you're going through. And the, the, the question is always to ask, like, so what, why is that is the obnoxious question that all the therapists ask you all the time that, and what did I feel like make you feel and whatever, but it's, it's actually that, like, why am I feeling like this and going always three steps before that. So if I feel like this it's probably because yeah. it was triggered by something that happened a couple of days ago or like, um, so I always try to dig deeper all the time with all of my stuff. Yes. And I guess that, um, with time makes you develop this sense of sniffing, so to speak, because you become more, more aware of, um, somehow what it could be. God, I hate using this word, but like using this as an illustration, uh, yeah. <laughs> God, it's some sort of like marketing tool, but <laughs> <laughs> you could use your personal life to sell more things, but no, please don't. <laughs> this <laughs> you could really take your deepest insecurities milk, and make buttloads of cash. Yeah, milk that cow, honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That was ridiculous. But, you know, I mean, you know, I, here's something that's on my mind that you're kind of touching on. Unless, what did you finish yes, that baby. thought? I don't want to. Okay, sorry. Here it is. I uh, one thing that's on my mind a lot is, and I hope that I'm going to try not to make this a giant setup of a question. A trap. <sighs> Here it is. All right. So I think about how our culture has this, you know, the idea of self-absorption, which is a thing. You know, narcissism and all that. I'm totally, I totally see. The, the major pitfalls of uh, being egotistical or, or being too uh, obsessed mm. with yourself. But I also want to, I, I feel like that's the way that our culture kind of paints reflection or, or thinking about yourself. And yet, like if you go back throughout mythology and, and things like the hero's journey and, and, and this idea of, becoming the transcendent self it's all about like getting to know your true self knowing why you feel what you feel what's behind the curtain behind the curtain behind the curtain and i feel as though creative people are it is their job to show us how to do that like i feel like we're supposed to go into those inner levels of ourselves and our experience and act as a mirror to people that can't spend their entire life yeah. creating stuff to find that stuff out. And I, and I'm sure, does that make yeah, sense? It makes sense. It's not a question no. though. It's, it's a, a no, but it's a question, nice but... reflection, like interest. Like, yeah, I guess <laughs> what I always feel guilty of that thing because I feel very uh, self-absorbed sometimes that my work is so based on my feelings and what I feel and what I'm going through. And I'm like, Jesus, this is so boring. But at the same time, the content that I consume the most is about people talking about their process and what they're going through. It's, and it's just something so captivating, I guess, of knowing other people's stuff, I guess. I'm very curious. So, and especially yeah. when it's something honest, I'm like, yeah, baby, yeah. This is this is exactly yeah. what I've subscribed for. But um, I I also wanted to answer another question that I didn't answer. Is that 
every time I want to complain about something or like talk about something really, really deep, I always try to make it funny, Andy, because there's so many people already complaining on the internet. And I feel like if I, if I can make something funny or less awkward for the subject to be like to read, I, I will make it funny instantly because there's already too many people complaining, I guess. This is not yeah. uh, uh, innuendo for you guys listening to the podcast to stop complaining. You can complain. Um, it's just that I, yeah. I, I wanted to be a seed of laughter and reflection and not as much as, oh, that person complained and that's it. It's also just good strategy, I think, when it comes to just kind of like giving some sugar with the medicine of like, yes. if you feel like you have something to share, like, I think that. That's just a, it's a way, like I, one of the things I think a lot about is, are we, do we want the world to improve or do we want to build an identity around the right ideas? Like I think, a lo- I think a lot about whenever I go to share things that are, that I feel passionate about, I think like, are you going to just stand up and be like, Hey, I'm, you know, I think it should be this way. And am I, am I doing that? to build an identity or do I really want to change Mm. things? And if I want to change things, what's the best strategy for doing that? It's not always maybe getting up and shouting. Sometimes it is, but, (laughs) um, you know, I think sometimes if you, cause, cause the people that you want to change, if you're just shouting at them and telling them they're wrong, they're not going to pay attention. It's way more powerful if you do it in a funny way or in another way. And then, uh, yeah, something that disarms exactly. people, you know? Yeah. So that was all really good stuff. I want to ask you about uh, bad stuff oh, for yes. a minute. Hit bad me, stuff. Andy. So <laughs> what is the, uh, what's the hardest obstacle uh, that you've had to overcome as a freelancer? And I mean, really like it hurt to do this. Oh my God. What are the times where, and I, I kind of have three questions in this, but they're all basically the same. Like, what are the bad days? What do they, you know, share as much as you would like, but what is it? What are the worst days that you've had on this journey? Or what were the things that were just the, the killer things? I, oh my God. I guess all of the ideas were based <laughs> on. But uh, yeah, the bad days were based on insecurities or just like the things that I mentioned about not respecting myself, not believing in myself, not like just jump, um, having one foot in one place and one foot in the other place, not committing to something. That's, I guess, the biggest, not like tension and or like lying to myself saying, oh my God, I'm working so hard. And in reality, I wasn't working myself just because I was really scared of saying yes to hundred percent and then failing. And I, I guess it's yeah. so normal and just so, um, just so honest, the idea of being scared to fail, but in, and it shows, it represents itself in so many ways. But I guess my way was taking other jobs just to not commit fully to illustration. Um, also, I know this is very practical, but not charging 50% upfront <laughs> to clients in the beginning. I know there's 
exceptions. Uh, I was also undercharging a lot, um, just like practical things. But in the end, they're all uh, in, in the relation of like not res respecting myself. Yes. So, the, and then do you feel like uh, you still have bad days? Oh yeah, baby, I do. What and then what are they? What do they? What does that feel like? Uh, you know, I think about this often because I and I don't always know. Like in the past couple of months, I've done a few episodes where I share a little bit more about like here's what is really I'm um, what's really bothering me, and I don't have an answer <laughs> for it. And I think and I think it's kind of a weird thing to put on a <laughs> podcast, but but I kind of feel like it's important. I'm trying, you know, I try to figure out how, cause I, if I'm only, only ever talking about victories of hard battles from six years ago, it makes it sound like I live this life of like pure joy when it's just not the way that it is. And also because we see the yeah. highlights of everybody all the time. True. So we're like, am I yes. the only one struggling? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I absolutely. guess the struggles that I'm dealing with now is not knowing my own limitations, Andy. And in the sense that yeah. since I love what I do so much and Ed is also really fan of what he does, we can all, like the both of us, we can spend all day working uh, because we just love what we do a lot. So I always, I, I tend to know that I'm tired when I'm almost burning out. And I feel yeah. so unprofessional, Andy, because I am the, the, the first person to tell my friends, like, you should rest, you should take your time off, take care of yourself. I'm like preaching and sharing all of this information with people. And I'm, I am the, the last person to follow my own advice. I'm really hard on myself, uh, but like really yeah. nasty. I'm, not, I'm, I'm an asshole to myself. And yeah. when I... I don't know, just like work during the weekends or when I, again, I feel really, really stressed and tired or when I realize I manage my life really poorly, I feel very unprofessional because I'm like, I have been a freelance for so long. These things, they can't keep happening anymore, but it's just that I, I love what I do so much. I want to do all the projects and I want to live with everybody and I want to do all the things. So I guess the struggle that I'm dealing with now is learning my limitations, learning that I can't do everything, that I have to choose, that I have to sacrifice a couple of things. And I need to also, again, the same word, but like respect uh, just the uh, resting. I know that when you have kids, you're forced to zone out and just like say goodbye to work and like be really, really productive on a smaller amount of time. But since I don't have a stop, I can just like carry on. And that's an issue that I really, really need to work. I'll, I'll tell you what, the, what's even worse than that. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. Oh, I love that we're like comparing <laughs> war <laughs> stories. My stuff's worse than your stuff. Uh, no, I, you know, because I, I, we do. Uh, and my wife is British and militant about time mm. off, like, because, you know, the way that they do holidays and all that stuff, it's like a moral, ethical oh, yeah, issue. Uh, like if, when we go, when I go to vacation, 
if I mention work or I, you know, whatever, sh- sh- her radar goes off and she's like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> are you talking about work? And I was like, no, it was, it was vaguely related to work, but it's, you know, and so, but, but what's worse for me is even though I have those kind of forced things is I can still work in my yeah. head. Like it's, I can still be pre and I, it's hard for someone uh, who loves what they do and also ADHD person is that creativity, what keeps me interested in it is it's like the, it's like the, it's like chasing the dragon, so to speak of like, it's net there. It's so challenging to do good creative Mm -hmm. work that it's just so interesting compared to going to the post office or paying your bills or whatever it is, right? Like those things are so much more Mm. boring. Uh, it's, and even rest, chilling out. Uh, so what, how do you, when you're feeling, when you can feel the burnout coming, which is something that happens to me way more than it used to happen. Uh, what do you do to, to kind of reverse it? I always think who can wait, who of all the people that need me right now can wait. Um, either my patrons or a client that is more flexible or, um, but of course I am not on that list. Yeah. So it's like, I, <laughs> uh, but the idea, who can wait? The idea, Me. You can, you can wait. wait longer. So it's okay. Uh, yeah, man, that's, that's really, really hard. Just like the idea of being chased by ghosts or the ghost of, oh, if you don't post today on any social media, you're going to be forgotten or the idea that you have to take time off yeah. and, in one month, everybody will be like, friend who or Andy who. That that's the worst yeah. thought ever. Anyway, <laughs> and how ridiculous it's so is dumb. It? It's so and you're crazy. like, of course you can yeah. take time off. That's totally okay. But when it's your case, it's like no. Um, but yeah, just the idea of who can wait. How can I take time off today or this weekend? Um, is there any way I can tackle this deadline as soon as possible and then take time off? And of course, the, the the main issue, I think, when you're burning out or like about to burn out is how can I prevent this from happening again? And just like see the early yes. signs, do not work until you're dying, basically. And I started reading a book that actually you recommended, Finished. Um, and yes. that guy is like, just like cut all the uh, goals in half. I haven't tried it yet, but since I get excited really easily with tons of projects, I think I will have to start doing those. And yeah, just like taking measure, like measures for upcoming things and replying, like answering the question, who can wait? I think that question is really, really good because when you have a to-do list, it feels when you, when you, when you write this to do yeah. list, you feel, yeah, you feel like if it's on the yeah. list, it's urgent. But once you stop and say, oh, this thing doesn't even happen for three weeks or this thing, you know, you can de- like, that's, that is something that I've tried to get better at now that I'm traveling more and I'm a, away on some weekends. I try to think about how, when I get back, if I don't have urgent stuff, then I need to take mm. some days off during the week and catch up with my family and, and I do think that, you know, what can wait is a really powerful question. What's the weirdest, 
I love this question. What's the weirdest way that you find yourself thinking about your creative career in terms of on a weekly basis? So I'll try. Unless you already know no, what I, I mean by I that, I, I'll give you. <laughs> I didn't think so because I don't think it makes any sense. But I just think like on a regular uh, week, I just the way that I go about my path uh, as a creative person, I feel I see it in kind of a cosmic way. Even though I don't always communicate that on the podcast, I feel like I'm really uncomfortable talking about anything that's not like a fact or like a, and even though I obviously do, uh, but I think I think of my path as way more weird and, and kind of mm-hmm. intuitive mm-hmm. in a way uh, than I probably share. Cause maybe it's just not, I just don't know how to share that, but do you, how do you, is, is the way that you experience your career and your path, Stre- this is a really weird question, and I only realized. Oh, after baby, I know weird it, questions. Do you feel the weird? Like, is it? How? What's your relationship to how this is all playing out in your life? And does it? Do you think of it in kind of cosmic or weird or intuitive or any any of? Does do these questions? Does this? Is that a question? It is. Okay. Um. Tell me if I'm answering the question correctly. I don't think there is a right way, but just go. (laughs) I feel it's weird only in the sense that I'm very uh, based on intuition and how I feel about certain things. I've approached a couple of projects saying, oh, I don't feel good about this, but I also don't want to see myself at someone um, unflexible. Is that even a word? Like not flexible enough? Uh, <laughs> the word in Spanish is intransigente, but I have no idea how to we'll say. Go it. with that. That sounds. Um, but in so I sometimes I'd say yes to projects only because I want to see um, even if it's against my intuition. I'm like, oh, maybe I'm wrong, or maybe um, I just I'm, I'm going to learn something about this, blah blah, and I do it, and then something bad happens, and I'm like, oh my god, I told you so, friend, and my intuition is like doing the I told you so dance, yes. and it's fine. But most of the things that I do are, are based on this like magic. I don't know if it's magic, but like this cosmical, nice intuition thing, and in, in, in the sense of how I feel about certain things, and sometimes, Andy, and I don't know if this happens to you too, but Every time we're with the intuition, like with all of the transmission transmitter, trans the antennas on, yeah, uh, you're like, oh my god, this feels amazing, and I'm so excited, but I'm also really scared. And sometimes we feel that those scary thoughts are telling us not to do things. So sometimes I feel very confused because I'm like, I, I know this feels right, so why I'm so scared? Yeah, um, and that's the confusing side of intuition. Uh, that's but really I'm always, good. That's really I good. know, baby, yeah, because like scary thoughts make us feel that we're doing something wrong or, or we're not supposed to do that. But intuition tells us differently. So I'm always trying to pay attention. Okay, like why am I scared? Is because is this unknown or um, am I I don't know ordering too many scenes or am I spending too much money on the next book or am I if I do a whole watercolor book. 
painted with watercolors, for example. Is this like scary, scary? Is this a wise decision or why do I feel like this? Okay, so I'm trying to, every time this happens, I try to listen to myself and be rational, but at the same time, listen to my intuition closely. Yes. So I, I totally feel you on that. I feel like I, I, I'm, I try to get away from the binary black and white dual Mm. thinking of everything has to, I feel like I can get caught in either camp really deeply where I either want to think all strategy, all business, all fact, all rational, (laughs) or I want to flip the switch and go to like, Let's do tarot cards and just (laughs) intuition and just feel like, well, let's see where the the divine spirit takes us, you know, and I feel like it, but I always come back to the same place of it's a dance between those two things. Like you can't just, you can't give yourself, like I, I feel like there are major pitfalls uh, to both ways of approaching things, but Mm. when you describe it, I do feel like the best things in my journey have come from yeah following that intuition and following Just jump. yeah yes. i don't like it though it's weird cuz i should like it cuz i'm a weird guy but it's just yeah it, it's it's inspiring to me it makes me want to stop what i'm doing mm. uh other than this conversation uh stop after this conversation and kind of get in touch with where things are out of whack or where, you know, what, what, cause I do feel like I've been ignoring my intuition a, a smidge. Oh no, Andy, yeah. that's the worst. It is the worst. I, I don't think, it, I, I think part of it is that like when, you, you know, when your intuition says to start a project and you do it, and then at the end, it's all about finishing and not about, really like yeah yeah so i think it's yeah it's less about taking the wrong turn and more about that i've been on a i've been in the middle and the end of a longer journeys and Mm -hmm. yeah does that make sense yeah um i was talking to ed about this because um he's going to start his phd and he's like, oh, my God, I feel so scared. Yeah. I feel I'm going to fail. I'm going to be the dumbest person in the room, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he's like, am I okay feeling this? Like, how do you think? And I'm like, Ed, I, I think it's, it's more normal that you feel scared than you feeling absolutely confident about this. I think I will be more afraid and worried if you're, like, totally, maybe fakely, uh, confident about something that not feeling is scared yeah i feel there's something there's nothing wrong and it's totally normal to feel scared it's just you have to do it anyways um and in order to if you're like i don't find my voice where is my intuition i haven't heard my intuition voice in so long like baby journal yeah journal all like a way of reconnecting yourself (sighs) with what you're doing and how to make decisions is freaking journal i know it's not everybody's cup of cup of tea but you know baby, what? you have to do it thank you for saying that because you were talking about journaling earlier in the episode and i wanted to i wanted to ask you more about it and then i completely forgot but that is so how how do you journal what does that look like for you 
like waking up in the morning having breakfast and coffee and then writing even if i don't feel like it writing like i don't feel like writing today but i'm going through this i'm worried about this i'm scared about this i'm excited about this um and just like asking yourself why and why you're going through this or something like silly you remember something embarrassing embarrassing you remember you did once yeah uh all of the most of the material that i get like uh, for upcoming illustrations so like things that I, I, I really want to do research on are based on things that I wrote because you see a pattern in your things or like subjects that are really interested in and even if you're not in a creative career I think it's so handy because I'm not saying that is like going to, to therapy but it's very similar yeah. in the sense that you're always doing introspection on yourself and your stuff and especially if you're a content creator and you're like updating a blog or social media it's so important to be in touch with what you're going through so i i definitely suggest to journal not even like every single day but any other day or um even if you don't feel like it are you handwriting that yes okay and do you do i journal yeah, I don't journal, and and actually, I've been getting more into writing because I'm a terrible writer. Like, I again, I feel like I have good ideas, but my writing is like that of a madman. Like, and it takes like I just finished writing out the book for my Kickstarter. I added a bunch of writing to it, and it and I feel listen people that are listening i feel so stoked out of my mind about that writing but only because it was the most excruciating process of all time i tried to write that book out 50 times over the past five years and then i yeah and then i had my wife help me reorder things and i had proofreaders help me so the content that's in the book i couldn't feel more thrilled about but it was an excruciating process to get there uh and so I'm interested in terms of just writing in my voice and just getting more natural in that, but I'm way more interested in it as just a, you know, create like creative spiritual practice, mm. not, not necessarily actually spiritual, but the, the cosmic side of creativity yeah. just feels, just feels right. It just feels, it sounds really good. And sometimes you need to word vomit things. Yeah, Andy. totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I talked. I don't do that. Go ahead. Word vomit is yeah. the best. Yeah. I mean, I talk with Ed constantly every single day about everything. Yeah. Uh, I but that sometimes. With too, but yeah. Yeah, but sometimes it's like I know he he will more than happy just like keep listening to me constantly <laughs> talking about one subject, but I would love to because the, this is the beauty about journaling is that the journal will never judge you. You can say the things absolutely how you feel and think about it because you you still like moderate yourself around other people, even the people that you love the most. True, yeah. But you can say like all the hardcore shit you're going through to a journal, and the journal will never judge. So it's a it's it's great. And I you, highly ten out of ten will recommend. Do you have your like a, a separate thing from your sketchbook, and it's just your oh, journal, yeah. and you just write? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay i'm i'm way interested i feel like it's missing from my life and i also think it's a serious uh hack for content creating in terms of capturing stuff it sounds yeah. like it's really powerful it, it won't only be helpful for you andy but i bet you will get a million ideas for your podcast yeah i'm sure and future I'm, projects yes yeah. 
Man, that's good. That's so good. Uh, Milk that cow. <laughs> Not only, not only will you work out some of those personal traumas in your life, you'll cash in. <laughs> that's amazing. I need to do it. That's the other one. Alex, if you're listening, and cut the thing that I said last time. What I want you to start the podcast with is milk that cow. Milk cow. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, All your oh, personal shizzles. Yes. It, like so, did, did, uh, did you have, I'm going to, I've got one more question. Did you okay. have any, any other tips that you swear by that you're going to just share with my listeners for creative careers? Like, is there just any other thing that you just think like, this is a thing I do and I believe in it and it's so helpful. Go. Oh man. It always, it always changes with time. God, my cat is crying. Um, <laughs> but I guess right now say, I know it's a cliche, but do what you love yeah. because this is the thing, Andy, people, uh, I think patience is something that is so underrated right now because yeah. people want the answer and they want everything right now. And I totally get it because I'm very impatient myself. But when I, when I think about how long it took me to where I am right now, it's about eight or 10 years. So if you're doing something that you don't love, you're not going to be able to wait. It will be too excruciating. So that's why everybody's like, do what you love. You have to be passionate about it. It's just because it takes so like it takes so long. Um, And also be proactive. I love this word because it's like taking initiative with things. So for example, if you don't know something, just learn how you do it. Um, right now, everything is under the tip of our fingers. Yes. And if you don't know how to, uh, I, I don't know, like paint with watercolors, there's a million tutorials. If you have no idea how to use InDesign or Illustrator or any other software, you can, like, you can learn anything you want, but people, like, you have to have, you, you need, blah, blah, blah. you have to be proactive, yeah. in, especially if you're a freelancer. Um, I guess, I mean, I have a million of those advices, but I think right now, those are the ones that resonate the most. That's really, really good because I, I have, that's something I've been thinking about talking about as well, which is, you know, I do think you should try it. Kind of, it's almost like a two part thing that you're saying, cause you're saying do what you love, but then also be proactive about it. So I feel for me, I think I found that I had certain nuggets of talent in this or that, but then I would go to do it and then fall on my face. So like I, I, you know, speaking for public speaking, for example, in high school, I was able to, you know, capture the attention of the audience, uh, uh, you know, of the classroom or whatever. And mm-hmm. I knew I could, I, I could do that better than my other classmates. But then when I went to go do it professionally, it was just a disaster. And I think that <laughs> the initial response to that was like, well, I'm not doing that anymore. I thought I had a talent there. I clearly don't. And the thing that ended up changing everything was just studying it. Just like I just yeah. became a student. There's a billion resources about public speaking. I just read a ton and, and watched a ton and learned a ton about it. And I think that you have that nugget of talent or that passion Mm. don't stop there be proactive about developing it because there's so many resources and you can't believe how much of an edge it gives you just to be 
instead of just writing stories, why don't you read some books about writing stories? And, you know, exactly. I, I, it's totally, it's a game changer. It's, I, I do that. I, it's a good reminder. Uh, yeah, people ask me a lot when, where to start. And I started writing all of the things that I needed to improve on a list. Yes, like all the I things that, that at I, the beginning. That's a good oh, idea. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm, I really suck at drawing backgrounds. I need to learn how to draw backgrounds. I am very bad. Like, I remember I got one comment once um, a couple of years ago saying, all of your characters look alike. So I'm like, okay, I need to improve drawing people from all ethnicities and all, all body shapes, all ages. Uh, I really suck at drawing men. So I started drawing more men and like, oh, like I have a list. I need to improve this list and you can start from there and the sky is the limit. That is a good tactic. Yeah. That is really good. And I did that kind of, I stumbled my way through doing some of that, but that that's way better than what I did. I, I think that's great advice. <laughs> okay. Well, th- man, this is a long one, but this is such a good chat. I had such a nice time, Andy. <laughs> Thanks, Fran. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andy. so fantastic thank you Fran for being on the show can't wait to have you back hope to see you soon in New York I hope you and Ed get uh, settled in and really enjoy being there there's tons of great people there and a great creative uh, vibe and community I think you guys are going to fit in really well let's catch up soon Fran go check out Fran on Instagram and YouTube Franerd and uh, thanks for listening if you love creative pep talk and it's made an impact on your creative career and you want to do something about it, you just have all this love in your heart and you got to figure out how to do something with that. You can go review the show on iTunes. You can back the podcast financially uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash creative pep talk, or you can get some creative pep talk merch at the shop at creativepeptalk.com slash shop. We're also going to have the creative career path handbooks uh, on pre-order and some other pens, some cool stuff that's come out just recently. You can also get access to the first 100 episodes by signing up to the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg, Suggy Buggy, as I call him, and he puts up with it uh, for all the other tunes. Go check out Alex Sugg on Spotify and Apple Music and go listen to the soundtrack, Great Work Music. Uh, You're going to hear more of that stuff soon. Creative Pep Talk soundtrack. Go check it out. Thanks, Alex. Thanks to all of you guys for listening. And until next week, I've got, and I've got something cooking for next week, man. I've been excited. I've been like racking my brain for what are the things that have really made the difference over the past couple years. And I got some new jazz to, to spread all over the internet next week. So stay tuned. Until then, though, stay pepped up. Mm -hmm.